and welcome back to the High Five Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. In today's episode, we're talking um, on a subject that was kind of brought up by a listener email, um, but looking at the listener's uh, system, we're not sure it totally applies. We'll explain all of that later, but the essential, uh, essentially, we want to talk today about optimizing lower-cost audio systems. Yes. So, Gonna have some advice on that regard and, and kind of define all that coming up. But first, as we always do, let's check in with each other. What's been going on with you audio wise this week, Darren? Oh, um, really nothing except uh, smoke machine. Oh, yeah, the smoke machine. Smoke machine's in the house. You, Lights did, you are gave in the me house. a demo. Yeah, I gave him a demo. And I thought, um, I thought pretty quickly that it was too much smoke that was happening, but you didn't turn it off for like a while. <laughs> you know, you got to get it, you got to get it thick in the room and then, and then the, uh, the lights start hitting the disco, disco ball and, you know, you get those beams through the whole room and yeah, it's, it's All amazing. Right. I got yeah. a better shot so, for, uh, the Instagram folks. We're going to, we're going to post it on that. Instagram, but, um, it's, you know, it's been a fun edition and you know sometimes we talk about well we have some listeners very interested in the this smoke, smoke machine, machine yeah. updates yeah we, we you know we um we talk about how the atmosphere can affect you know our enjoyment or our systems yeah. and yeah you know for having friends over and again this room this larger room that i have with the dunlavies it's just its presentation is more leaning towards you know when i have friends over and we're jamming on the system and we're just enjoying music and they're throwing any sort of recording up there and it just has to play it and we're having a good time. So the, the lighting in that room really contributes towards that experience where, whereas the, the Wilson room is a, you know, it's a high resolution and uh, extremely revealing of the recording. And so it's just a little bit different of a, a scenario in there, you know, you might want a candle burning in that room with the fire on or something like that and a wine in your hand, you know, so different vibes in different rooms. And, um, I'm just really pleased with the way that this worked out. You know, it's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it exceeded my ex- expectations. Let's it's just kill that way. So it's just killer. How about you? What's going on with you? Um, let's see. Finished up that album with, uh, my guy, Jake. Oh, nice the riverside and very very happy where we ended up you know i mentioned it um i think pretty soon after i started i i had done i had spent a whole weekend and done one major pass through the album maybe it's four podcast episodes ago something like that and uh gone through the album and i was at a point and i remember saying this on the podcast but this was exactly where we were where it was like now it's just going to be a subjective thing for whether Jake likes the the top end of this and whether it's too mm. too much or too little. And um so that's kind of what it came down to. I don't think we had really I mean we were looking at like a few moments and a few different songs, but really like his um mixing was incredibly clean. Um and so it it ended up being one of those things where it was like, do we like this flavor or should we try a different flavor? 
And uh, and so we were going to try a different flavor, but he also, we started talking about uh, clipping, and we, he also wanted to just send another mix, because he was thinking, listening to my first thing, and, and had his own thoughts. So he sent me all new mixes, but we had this little conversation about clipping and digital levels, and um, the mixes he sent were not just the things that he did, but he also lowered volume on everything. And it was amazing how much better the things that I was doing worked when when the original source file was lower, and that was something that we both uh, made sure to note, you know, for next mm. time. But it was like I didn't really, you know, I I started adjusting. I ended up adjusting other things, but but in terms of like overall gain, I found that my gain profiles were still like kind of where I wanted them. It's just. Uh, with the lower input, there was so much less work for, you know, the top end limiter to be doing. And for, you know, I, I guess the, I use different kinds of compression, but one of them being parallel compression, less of that happening. And, and, um, man, it made for just like real clarity. A lot of details came out. One of the things he wanted, um, that was on the subjective side was, was just overall more warmth and, and uh and uh to to come back a little bit on that top end which was really kind of what i thought he was going to say um and so once we did that uh paired with that lower input volume it was just like magic and everything fit into place and i i mean i did spend a whole bunch of time kind of realigning with this new paradigm of bringing cuz i wanted that that to maintain that clarity but give him the vocal warmth that he wants in the context of only touching two channel audio. So I'm left mm. and right. Meaning if I touch something for his vocal, then it affects the instruments. So I'm trying for real subtle nuanced touches, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, but he wants more, um, more bloom and stuff. And so one of the, and I mentioned a couple times in the past, one of the things that, that I noticed is that uh, we get sub bass way down to like five hertz from this kick stomper that he has. It's huh. like an electronic trigger. So I'm always, and then he uses um, big hall reverb. Do you uh, put like a high pass on that? <clears throat> yeah. So one of the jobs of the mastering engineer is to have a full range system that's so accurate on the bass that you can you can make that call of like how much is too much i get what we we want to do is we want to we want to activate that part of somebody's cognitive realm when they're listening to this music when they hear like this sub bass kick and and kind of this expansive reverb uh on it and you know we want that mm -hmm. but what we don't want is for all the cars that have built in subwoofers to overload on this thing or uh you know and so Sometimes, and you've mentioned this in the past, sometimes you come across recordings where you can kind of tell that the monitoring, the sub-bass monitoring for that recording was, was not ideal. Right. Because yeah. you've built an absolutely linear sub-bass system. Mm -hmm. you know? Mine's okay. Mine's mine's pretty good when I have the whole thing dialed in. I, I feel yeah. confident in it. In oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very good. Um, yeah, and I, you, can, you can hear like when people master recordings on monitors that that have no subs or anything yeah. like that you can just tell like the way that they're boosting the bass in you know perhaps like the like the 40 to 60 hertz range right. or the 40 to 80 kind of area in the kick drum it's uh superficial make up for that 
that uh, limited range system that they mastered it on. So, you know, what you want to do is leave, leave the impression there and make sure the impression is like the appropriate impression of the sub bass and then carve out everything else that's going to be problematic to like making the rest of the mix work, you know, and, and accomplishing what we wanted. So part of what I ended up doing was, um, relaxing what I had, uh, which was a pretty high Q, um, filter on the bass and relaxing that a little bit to get less of a, of a little bump and kind of relaxing another filter to kind of bring up the mid bass naturally. And I use this, uh, uh, parallel equalizer and that's, that's similar to parallel compression where if you're, if you're just cutting, like it's, it's a really linear way to do it digitally. Um, if you're, even if you're adding, it's the most linear because it makes perfect copies of certain parts that you're accentuating of the original. Um, so we got ourselves to a really great place and we just kind of went track by track and checked them off and there we go. We're done. And then he asked me to do the vinyl. So, um, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't, we didn't master this one extremely loud, this whole album. But one thing you can do to help the vinyl for sure is it's uh, lowering something called makeup gain, which is part of that mm. parallel compressor. So the parallel compressor uh, overlays the same file on top of the file that you're listening to. And based on your p- parameters, you're hearing a little bit of it. Like you're hearing a, if, if you want, if, if it is boosting anything, it's taking from that parallel copy and and adding that to the mix uh, instead of doing it a different way digitally where they can multiply, you know, certain numbers and, and things to achieve uh, a certain um, result. This is this is kind of a real time thing. It's it's probably my favorite plugin that I use. And, and you know, you can hear the the delta of what it's um, what it's adding and, and check in on that, like at the press of a button. But um, tons and tons of control. But one of the things you do with parallel compression is you, you, you do this and then you back off of it half. So a true parallel compressor has to have half dry and half wet signal. <clears throat> and that's really what makes the whole kind of thing work the way it's supposed to. And sometimes you have close, like 60, 40 or a 54, uh, you know, 46 or something like that for one reason or another, because you need a little more makeup gain or something like that. But the makeup gain in, in this kind of, um, context, uh, on a compressor is actually going to, is the function of raising the volume of the quieter parts. So you define a threshold and below that is deemed quieter parts and above that is deemed louder parts and the thing reacts differently for the different ones Mm. now my compressor has an rms section and a peak section so you can set thresholds for rms and peak and you can you know set hold and release times and that kind of thing the the quicker the the um um what would that be Uh, attack the quicker the attack of the compressor the more of the transient that you end up affecting and, and blurring and, and reducing. So, um, you know, these are just tips from a recording engineer audio file. You, you learn about the things that, um, how to avoid dis- destroying the things that we like as an audio file. One of them is, is transient, uh, transients. And so, 
um, having a late attack on your on your compression, having very light compression, that kind of thing. Those those are always going to support having a nice soft knee so that it it kind of is is not really like like a really aggressive uh, action. Having that wet dry control down to 50%. I do all of these things cuz I want like you know, I'm I'm not trying to I'm trying to be nuanced in, in what I'm doing, you know. Where was I? Where did we get there? Oh, the makeup uh, gain for yeah, the yeah. the vinyl. So you lower the yeah. makeup gain a little because mm. in in some of the thicker sections um thick waveform wise if you're looking at the waveform on a, you know, in a visual section. But, you know, if you can imagine just dense audio, if you can reduce the density of that, if, 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 if my makeup gain beforehand added to the density of it, I'm, I'm pulling that back. Hmm. So I pulled back the makeup gain, maybe one or two DB, depending on the song for the whole album and just kicked them back the vinyl. And I think that'll make a great, great uh, mix for vinyl, but it's, it's not to the level of being there at the lathe and like, running a test pressing, seeing what I did wrong, doing it again. Like it's yeah. the mastering engineer's job's a different thing these days. Mm. And, uh, it would be cool to have to, to, if we could get this band on that level where we, where we have stuff mastered, you know, um, in an audio file manner because this band's recordings are so great. And I, mm-hmm. I, I they, shared, they really you. are. Yeah. I shared that album with you. When it comes out, we should definitely feature it. Cause this is going to be cool. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. This is maybe one of the better ones. Awesome. So that's it. Um, well, congrats. Uh, another, you know, project there under your belt. What else? I, Oh, I was fooling around with some DIY interconnects. Was it last night? And I called you because I had an issue cause I was mm. trying to get all fancy Right. And uh, yeah. go XLR to RCA from my DAC to my amp. But mm-hmm. it turns out my amp can't take RCA. I mean, I know that. Mm-hmm. So I had RCA adapters. But mm-hmm. you're like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, so, uh, you know, I've just I've just had this interconnect idea in mind and I wanted to make it. And I have a more way more RCAs than I do XLR connectors. So I just need to get XLR connectors. But. Uh, that's all with me just a little diy fun um so very nice should we get into our yeah let's do it so this week um we've got we got a couple great questions uh we actually we got a few in the burner um but this week we wanted to tackle this one in total because it kind of contains three different questions and then um the uh the writer of this question actually kind of brought up a question that I think we are thinking that he thinks applies to his system, which we don't agree with, but we also thought it was a great question. So kind of as our, you know, just topic of the week, um, after Chris's question here, we're going to jump into that. So, um, let's get started. Now this is Chris from Melbourne, Australia. Fantastic. Chris writes, Hi guys, I'm in Melbourne, Australia, Melbourne, as they would say in Australia, and started listening after Darren was on uh, Darko's podcast. Love the show. Such fun to listen to banter and tweak out. I love to hear about different systems and products that go well together and how to get the best out of them. I was wondering, and here's his question that um, we'll end up kind of extending to our main topic here. I was wondering if you would do a focus on MidFi, how to get the best out of MidFi systems with specific brands of power cables 
or other cables that aren't crazy expensive. And, uh, and we'll continue with his question. We'll answer, uh, his question for his system and then we'll come back to that. Um, he continues, I love hearing about the Sprout and the Harbeths uh, and that kind of thing. I have an Ampson Sound Mogwai SE, awesome tube headphone amp, which plays headphones and speakers matched up with some audio note and K speakers in a Matrix mini DAC. Okay, so the Ampson Sound Mogwai actually is, is a low-power speaker amp as well. Um, and so he's got that on uh, pretty efficient audio note and K speakers. I love the NK speakers, by And you're a fan of that Matrix uh, DAC, although I don't know if this is the same one, uh, the, the X DAC. He says Matrix oh, Mini, yeah, that's mini the, DAC. Oh, yeah, that's the actual DAC. Yeah. The, what, I'm, what I'm usually uh, talking about and referencing is the SPDIF 2. XPDIF 2. Yeah. Yes, but the does Matrix make more than one DAC? He calls this a mini, so they, I just didn't remember that. I believe they're, they've just come out with a, another DAC, so there's actually two now, I believe. <laughs> but I could be uh, missing one, yeah. Chris continues, I plan to upgrade the DAC to maybe a Cord Cutest, but then I need a streamer or an Arlick Altair G1 all-in-one, which would have the DAC in it. Um, and he says he likes the idea of having a streamer with a screen. Um, that's what I'm thinking soon anyway, and adding a rel sub. Excellent. So he's thinking about that. We're going to get back to that. I think it all sounds pretty good, but I want to take it up another notch. I get stuck in the cycle of thinking, should I buy this product I can afford now, or should I save up and go to the next level? But then, is my system ready for the next level? And those are great questions, we thought. Actually, that's kind of the heart of what um, our advice um in the next segment will be. But Chris continues, I have two questions. Question one, power-related question. Uh, At the moment, I am just going straight out of a cheap power strip with a cheap power cord. Uh, We should describe his system, too. It's it's a big room. Um, It's got brick wall on the the left, three feet from the speaker. Um, On the right, it's got a giant wood, uh, like, um, split wood pile. That's that's a little bit closer to the speaker, but we uh, we double checked and Audio Note uh, recommends actually the type of placement that Chris has, where you have them uh, back against the wall and towed in, and basically as wide as you can as you mm-hmm. can make them. So it all looks good. It's just behind the speakers is a massive giant uh, uh, glass window, wall sliding glass door kind of thing. And then, uh, um, like I mentioned, the ceilings are very tall. That's, you know, those are great things. But um, you and me looking at this picture, we're, we're like, yes, he's going to enjoy a sub um, in this setup. Yes, absolutely. But he's thinking, uh, where does he say? Sorry, where did I want to pick up here? At the moment, I'm just going straight out of a cheap, power strip and cheap power cord have you seen the new iFi supernova power cord which has active noise canceling in it we did just refresh ourselves or just check it out i hadn't heard of it before mm. i think it's cool that iFi's got a cable mm-hmm. it's it's active it's got a whole thing in it um what, be, what do you what do you think about it well beyond let's just put a put aside the active noise canceling mm-hmm. it is fairly uh you know fairly decent 
technology. They're they're doing a modified star quad where they have four conductors, and the opposite polarities are kind of a, a opposite from each other in this setup. And then they have these um, tubes. Looks like I don't know if they they said what plastic it was, but some kind of like fluoropolymer maybe. But they just have air, and so they're spacers. Spacing these conductors in this configuration, and then the ground cable is in the middle. Now, the idea with star quad is that the magnetic fields can cancel each other out when you have positive, positive, negative, negative on opposing sides of this thing. Um, I guess that's that's the case, and that's what why they're calling this ground zero, because the idea is that they're removing the magnetic fields from the interactions from the ground. I think it's fine. I, I just think that the ground, the way they twist it like that, the ground is still linearly next to every conductor the entire time. And and so, um, I don't know. I just see, like, the capacitance has got to go up in a... Well, that's, is, that's is, what is, it does. Is a star quad yeah, raised the, capacitance? it's high capacitance, yeah. You know. So, I, I don't quite understand the the marketing around it, but... Um, I also haven't really <clears throat> heavily researched this. Who else this does product, a star so. quad power cable? Other mm. people do. I've seen I've seen one the other day. But the um the interesting part of it though is this little chonker. That's what we call them at, at the music room. It's, it's I mean you can call it like a cable network where it's just this like chunky network. Um but it, it's also like I don't know, most of these things you just have no idea what's in them and, and they're often quite heavy and so we call them chunkers. So it's it's got this, you know, I don't know. It's got to be a battery involved in it. It calls it active noise canceling. I definitely know there's a a surge protector in it, which is interesting. So it seems like the whole, like, at least one part of this power, I mean, they must sever the live and the neutral mm. if it's a surge protector is what I'm thinking. But anyway, so that means that those those both go through this thing. It's interesting. Hi-Fi technology is always going to be interesting. It's always solving a problem. It's always fairly inexpensive. And it's yep. always fairly creative in the way that it, it tackles the problem. I have no doubt that these are going to be interesting. Um, but that's that That was my response. I'll, I'll continue on with his email. Um, just hadn't heard of that supernova before, so... Glad, uh, glad you had us check yeah. that, that out, Chris. Yep. Um, but Thank he you. says, you know, and it, and it sounds like a, a fairly affordable power cable. So he, he asks, is this a good place to start upgrading? Or should I go for a $300 power cord and get an audiophile power strip so all my components can come out of that? Or should I save up and get a better power cord for around $1,000 just for the amp? We have Analysis Plus here, and they look pretty good. Um, I guess that's an Australian company. Or should I save up and get a power cord for now and save up and get a PS audio power conditioner, the entry-level one? Maybe he's talking about the deck tap. Um, my amp has a hum. It doesn't get louder when I turn up the volume, but can hear it buzzing when no sound is playing. Is that just a two-amp thing? I don't know. Oh, it could be uh, two-amps. Tube amps have have a lot of stuff going on. You know, you can have some hum that has nothing to do with the ground on a tube amp. 
Um, it's also, you know, single-ended, so you can easily get a ground loop. Um, but that was kind of like an extra question in here. His it, main, it was. The main question is... I think uh, we should skip that question. Yeah, okay. You know, well, I because we, we don't know enough about the system, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's I skip mean, it. it's, it, it's doing ground, ground loop debug. We'll just be going through the d- ground loop. And we, we have like a really whole, good question. We have a whole <laughs> a really episode. Good point. That's a really good point. We have a whole episode on that. Yeah. Um, so his question about how do I approach the power cord conundrum Do I in terms of money? It is kind of easier to wrap your head around well here's my budget uh if i wait my budget could grow uh or you know how do i best work this out and is that kind of an upgrade where where he's going to get what he wants as his last sentence here on the on the first question which was kind of confused with that extra question he says i want to get more floating images will a power cord help with this Hmm. So, um, should we start answering this question? We've described his system. It's, um, it's great. It's KT88 two amp. Uh, that's for headphones. I, uh, essentially, but he's got audio note speakers, which he says are what? 93 DB. Um, so, you know, he's getting pretty, pretty good sound. He has a big room. It is. Um, I think that number one on the list is the subwoofer. Yeah. That you, you, you and want, I agreed on that. And, and you don't want a, a very small subwoofer. You, you want, I, I would say at least a, something with a 12 inch driver, um, for that huge, I mean, huge space, it's very tall ceiling that adds a lot of volume to the area. Um, I would recommend a beefy subwoofer, a beefy rail. And, um, you had mentioned, um, what, what, what's the model that you were thinking for that size of room. So we're looking, it's gotta be 12 foot ceilings. Um, yeah. And, uh, pretty big room. Um, so we were looking and you were saying when he needs a 12 inch, um, I was thinking agreed, uh, as well, kind of like commensurate with the rest of that system. Those audio note speakers are, are amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amps and sound makes incredible amplifiers. Uh, so no reason to believe that, that you wouldn't kind of want to go big and serious in there. And I was thinking that, you know, the rel T nine X may be a little light for the duty in that room. I think so. So we were thinking, uh, Darren was thinking a 12, which, you know, rels S eight twelve is the first okay. 12 inch that's that the they have. Yeah. yeah. That that's what I would recommend is something along those lines for that room. Um, yeah. I agree, and we both agree. We actually think that it, the first place that both of us would try is that left corner behind the plant because um, you've got the space with the placement of the speaker. And, um, the S812 is a beautiful piece of work, so kind of like would be a shame to hide it, but, uh, but that would be a pretty decent spot to start. But this kind of leads into a little bit of our thinking with the the main topic, but we, it's really always a case of looking at what's there and, and what's, what's the obvious upgrade. And, and I guess that is what you're asking us. And that's what we're going to say is we, we want uh, the sub in that room. Number one. Yeah. Yeah. Then number two, when we're talking about power cables, um, well, first of all, you mentioned that the audio notes are 91 dB. 
approximately 91 dB. I, I should probably look that up to double check. But for an 8-watt amp with KT88s. Well, um, the, the other thing is the distance that you are away from the speaker. Uh, and it plays a role to be quite, it looks to be at least a significant distance. Uh, yeah. It's hard to tell because of the depth in the image. Uh, it's hard to looks get like, uh, accurate depth, but it looks like eight to 10. Feet. I was going to say 10 feet. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 And, uh, so yeah, the, so, yeah. I mean, when you're that far away, you start to, you know, now to get, uh, you know, 85 DB in the room. Yeah, if we Chris, he would be able to tell us how much you lose per per foot of distance based on the design of the speakers. Because I remember, it was at line arrays where you lose less per foot of distance away or something like that than conventional speakers. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, the uh, line arrays you uh, the attenuation is is less. But this has Darren and me both thinking about power, right? right? You, just like the the size of the room the eight watt amp it's meant for a headphone amp are probably like intimate listening you know like not not maybe like filling a room yeah right right um Tough yeah part and it of- also depends on how loud he listens and what music really good point if it's if it's just 85 db from the listening position max and it's jazz uh then probably you're you could be fine um, he does say he's pretty satisfied. He's just looking to take it up to another level. Yeah. yeah. So you know the subwoofer for me, it, that's like the the go to like no brainer, easy recommendation. Yeah, yeah. That that I would go with. Interestingly, um, they don't give me uh, on the technical specs. They don't get sensitivity on the Autonote website here. Hmm. Um, other stuff. In regards to the power cables. Oh, here it goes. It's different. About 90 oh. dB. 90 dB. 90? Yeah. There's a bunch of different you know, A and Ks, so maybe his yeah. are specifically 91. Yes. It's, yeah. It's, and what's the impedance? Six. Six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's six. Like Harbeth, actually. So <clears throat> it's actually less sensitive because we, we always think about right things in terms of eight ohms, right? But as you lower that impedance, the um, the ability or what you need to to form, uh, you know, it's going to take more wattage to get yeah. that spec. So, hmm. so it's actually not. It's unlikely that that's at one watt. So it's it's likely that's a little bit more than one watt just to get ninety. Um, hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so, so yeah, I. You know, that may be something you want to look at is increasing your, your power, your amplifier. But uh, for right now, the subwoofer is number one. To, to, to talk about the power cables really quickly, yeah. you, you were talking about you wanted a little bit more spatialness and uh, 3D-ness. Mm-hmm. What, what, what did he yeah, the specifically holographic says? Thing. Holographic, yeah. yeah. You know, great power cables, to me, what they do is they make an image that appears flat on a cheap power cable to have dimensionality yeah, to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it sculpts this Agreed. image that is floating in the room with dimension and space defining the, the perimeters of that image. That's what a great power cable will do. Um, 
So if that sounds like what you want, then yes, upgrading your power cables could get you there if it's the right power cable. If it's not, then it could also be uh, a waste of money or not necessarily the direction that you want to go in because it could change tonal the tonal aspects of the system too. And so you may not actually like those changes. Uh, so I, I just want to warn you there. Um, going just throwing throwing money at a power cable doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna, you know, be happy with with all the the areas of improvement there. So you just have to be aware to audition cables if you go down that path, not just to settle on one. You might want to try to audition a few mm. and, and and get used to what different flavors of power cables do because it's not just a matter of buying a better one. It's a it's a matter of buying the right one in that price range when you're talking about, you know, $300 for a power cable mm. or even $1,000 for a power cable. It has to be, they all have tonal characteristics as well. So you have to be careful about about uh, what you introduce to the system relative to the system synergy and your taste. <clears throat> so that's, that's what I would recommend um, is to focus on the sub the uh i think i i recommend going with a higher power amplifier over thousand dollar power cable agreed yeah agreed putting more money into an amplifier yeah that could really like open up those speakers i think so i think so yeah have you even heard what those can do in that room i don't know We'll, we'll see although you know we know that that probably has some magic to itself but um you know, it, it does depend depending on the type, to what he listens to. You know, if yeah. you you're a, any really any rock, point. any rock or any dynamic music, I would say definitely upgrade the power amp to more Gosh, power. Gosh, I yeah. love those speakers. I'm a big fan of the audio notes. Um, I wrote about them recently. By the way, to anybody, Darren's Darren's just on the tip of a uh, I don't know coming down with something and. We're struggling yeah. through it, and uh, yeah, yeah. please bear with us. Um, but we're just kind of making do, and yeah, it's, it's, make it work uh, it's just a just a head cold. A it happens. Cold, so, um, okay. Yeah. So next question, question two. I like my amp. I think it sounds great. It's killer with headphones, and I think the speakers sound good too. I play. I don't play loud, so I think with the audio notes being approximately ninety-one dB, it's an easy load. Um, eight watt KD8, KT88. It's an okay combo, but do you think I'm missing something? Okay, we kind of just addressed this. I actually surprised I missed that one sentence because uh, I would have known that we were addressing it already. But yeah, so we uh, we did address that. He was just questioning um, whether or not he's missing anything. He's happy with the volume he gets, but he's wondering if if there's more that you can reap. And that is absolutely the way you should be thinking about mm-hmm. it. It's not about volume. It's about, um, well, it's about that amp speaker relationship and understanding that at certain points it's going to be more tricky for the amp to drive this and can you get more of a linear presentation with something with more beef on the table. Right, and, and the other thing too is that the the way that those amps are spec'd is that, yes, sure, it can output 8 watts, but 8 watts at high distortion. And right. any amp at the top of its so, range is going to be the highest distortion in the range. Right, and those solution. those amplifiers they do have a nice soft clipping clipping nature to them, mm-hmm. which means that the you know the max uh, output power is something that sounds okay, but it sounds different than the first watt. Yep. And and so you know they vary 
you don't want to be using the full amp. You want to have headroom. So it just in my opinion, the 8 watts seems, for a 90 dB speaker at 6 ohms, it does seem to be pretty, um, it, it's cutting it. Power-wise, power yeah. yeah. I, w- I would be more... I'd be looking more in the 30-watt range if I were you. Um, that, that's where I would feel better about uh, about about the power. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he continues with his last question. He says, I know I had said two, but just one more. He listened to our podcast about intermodulation distortion, maybe six podcasts ago, maybe five. In the track we talked about, from the guitarists that has this crazy fast strumming. That's Marcin playing mm-hmm. uh, Moonlight Sonata uh, to test an amp out. That section sounds a bit metal in my system. And argh, is that intermodulation distortion? And if so, does that mean that the only, only really crazy music like that will show it and be hard to listen to? Or does intermodulation distortion affects all kinds of music even simple music but i just don't know it interested to hear your thoughts oh well first thing is that uh, more complex music uh, tests intermodulation distortion and can create more intermodulation distortion because intermodulation distortion is the difference between all the frequencies in that signal and so more complex music that has uh, a higher density uh signal uh, meaning you have uh, more complex information going on, the more chance of that intermodulation showing up and, you know, uh, kind of uh, making that sounding muddy and making it sound, uh, sometimes it, it has a forward presentation where it gets a little bright. Um, so, you know, I would say to answer that directly as far as simple music versus complex music absolutely complex music will show imd more than simple that's just i mean down to the pure definition of by the definition of yeah yeah Yeah, exactly my uh response is two things first of all if you think about what how the imd would happen in what's happening in what you're talking about so marcine and then um it's in those strummy parts of Moonlight Sonata, and he uses, I mean, he's got either really crisp fingernails, nice and nice and sharpened, or he's using some finger picks or something like that. Um, probably just fingernails, but just the, the recording is so hot right there. It that, is. That um, the, the two things I think, number one, I've never heard that section not sound very metallic on any system because it's just crazy. And it is crazy. Is crazy. Yeah, and I think yeah. I've I think I've even thought that over here. I mean, it's just like it's there's it's there's limits to what you can. Do well, it's on the recording. recording. It's they're also the recording pushing, is. It's, but it's, they're it's pushing on the everything on that recording right to the limit before any clipping and distortioning. And it's yeah, just yeah. like it's a it's a max out song. It hits you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then, um, but the other thought was that if it is IMD, if you think about that that because he uses a steel string guitar uh, for all this nylon string type of work and, and fingernail type of stuff, those frequencies up there, um, the notes change quicker, right? I mean, it's, or is it, or is it the opposite way where the, where it's, it's a longer uh, delay before notes change? Uh, that's what it is. There's more frequencies between note changes up at the, at the top frequencies, right? Um, in terms of octaves. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. It's sure. logarithmic. Yeah. Um, 
And so what you're, what you have is a lot more notes that are close to each other, all interacting with each other. Yes. So that IMD wouldn't be like super noticeable. It would just be really confusing. Right. Um, this is what I would think. It, it's, it's confusing and, and it can add, uh, it can add brightness. The, the question sound. of yeah. like compared to other types of music that that really kicks that IMD button for me, like like I mentioned a Hudson Mohawk song uh, Octan. If anyone is interested in putting that on Hudson Mohawk, Hudson Mohawk Mohawk with a E at the end of it, um, Scottish producer out of Glasgow, and um, has a song called Octan that immediately you'll know what i mean in fact i'm surprised i still haven't played that for you it's basically the perfect intermodulation test okay but interesting yeah to answer your second question no that's a unique track not everything's very obvious like that and even amid even when talking to us we have specific tracks that we think of when we think of oh if i want to show someone what imd is i'm going to pull up octan by hudson mohawk it's it's not every track it's it's complex music does excite it but for some reason it's like really pure complex music or something that's set up to show it off <coughs> really does a better job i think yeah and I, again i i i don't think that we should necessarily you know it, it was a question of yours the imd but i don't think what we should necessarily focus on that that we shouldn't assume that that is what you're hearing necessarily but we wanted to uh, be very clear that more complex music does cause IMD to show itself over simple music. Um, the, you know, your room could be another contributing factor towards uh, the metallic sound. That's to me, you know, you. It sounds like you don't like that brightness that that the system has now. Um, if that is the case and you're hearing it in other recordings and it's something that is always there, then, um, you know, it could be a little bit of that. The room doesn't have that much, uh, absorption in it. It's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, re, you know, reflection yeah. in that room. Yeah. So. Pretty hard surfaces. There are some, there's some diffusion at the top, you know, for, for high frequencies, but not, not a lot of thick stuff in that room, but yeah, I think though, even given that our take is generally that that's most, it's mostly that recording. It's kind of going to yeah. sound like that. Yeah. It, it leans that way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris, for writing, um, Chris Middleton from Australia. Um, and hope we helped a little bit and, uh, best luck on this great looking system and, uh, yep. your hi-fi life. Yeah, it's a great looking room. Um, get the rail, get the rail, get the rail, get yeah. a, a rail. That's, that's yeah. what I would. That's what I would recommend. And, and dial yeah. it in so that it's just barely like you don't. You're never looking at it because you never. It's never sticking out, but it's it's just going to make those audio notes kind of fill that giant space that you've got to listen to. So you'll cool. also know that you you won't play it as loud. Mm. When you have when the you whole have, system, yeah, the whole yeah. system. You'll play. You'll be happier at lower volume uh, because it will still have like a room filling sound. Um, where maybe before you're turning it up a little bit to get some bass out of the speakers. Uh, with the subwoofer, you can kind of augment that to some degree. So, 
Speaking of which, this weekend was Halloween, and I never thought that I would enjoy creating a spooky Halloween experience as much as I I did. <laughs> did you put on some of that like uh, so really the, creepy music on your system? I um, had full blast. I had two tracks going. I had two different YouTube videos. One was one hour of devil laughter, just <laughs> you know, kind of stuff. Over and over again. And then the other one was oh, insanely like just doom, like organ music. But it was, I actually went around YouTube for a while trying to find one that had great bass. Mm. And this was full spectrum, had my system cranking. I was up to 80 or something on the volume. And uh, and so all the kids, kids above age about six or something, thought my house was the coolest and gave me all kinds of kudos and and uh, under six, you would see them like stopping at the driveway, trying to figure out if they wanted to go any further. Cause, any further? Yeah. Cause it, yeah. Oh, because I had all the lights off, one lights red off. light oh, on wow. that was wow. that was underlighting me and had the door cracked open Whoa. with this organ music playing. And then we had all these cobwebs. And then what I would do is I would, I, in the kitchen, I would look and see them in the street coming up to the house and I would grab the weed whacker and go, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, dude, the girls went out trivia retreating and it was just me in the house dealing with like are piles of candy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So what? I was having so much fun. Yes. And I got so many kudos from like teenagers and, and, uh, I don't know, middle schoolers. You and took stuff. the weed whacker out. They're like, the vibe Those is really cool. Kids. This is a really Those cool kid. Oh, it, least one little like four-year-old or something was just like couldn't say a word and his dad was like he's he's going through some stuff right now <laughs> he's going through don't, he's, don't mind he's that just guy. like an alligator I, i've been there i've been that guy before <laughs> 10 years ago you know he was so funny he's going through some he just needs to let some stuff out i, mean, right I was now. i was really kind you know uh you know gentle and, and happy and, and friendly when i when I brought the candy to the door, it's just the the whole setup before then was just like great. That's hilarious. I had so much fun. The that other doesn't day. surprise me, but it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the sound system, I was going to say was, I think the subs were a big part of that. Yeah. Cause when you're sitting at the doorway to my house and you're mm-hmm. hearing actual, Oh, so it was organ with uh thunder, like realistic thunder strikes, like, and then some screams and then some like, you know, I don't know, some other stuff. It was a whole bunch of things. Well, I have uh, one uh, input for an upgrade for that okay. for next year. Chainsaw. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's the, the Weed Whackers of facsimile for the chainsaw. It's like, yeah, yeah. what's, what's, what are they doing with that back there? You know, that's the whole spooky part of that. What's he doing in there? What's he doing in there? What's he building? In there? What's yes. he building Tom in there? Waits. That's Tom, oh, Tom Waits' song. Good old classic, classic Tom Waits song. Oh, yeah. you never talked about Tom Waits. I set a rule at work for my coworker, Ben, no Tom Waits before, I think it's 10 a.m. Or it could be 9 a.m. But that's, <laughs> that's a pretty hard rule in the, in the warehouse at the music room. All right. It's poison under the sink, of course. So we uh, we have a right to know what's he doing in there. <laughs> it's a great song. Check that song Check out that if you track heard that. You never yeah. heard of Tom Waits? What's he building in there? Yeah, it's oh it's my great. goodness, it's great. All right, so getting to our uh, main topic here, getting back to a point in Chris's email, um, was this sentence that we were talking about where we thought, you know, is he calling his system mid fi I'm not sure. That I would call this mid-fi. I'm not sure you would either. I, I wouldn't. No. 
Um, but his question was a really uh, sparked a just kind of an interesting thought from us. Mm-hmm. And let me just read it again. I was wondering if you would do a focus on MidFi, how to get the best out of MidFi systems with specific brands of power cables and other cables that aren't crazy expensive. That was Chris's question. It got us thinking. Boy, I don't know if we would recommend power cables as the answer to this. And it really started this topic of mm-hmm. um, how should we... Oh, and first we wanted to kind of maybe change the the terminology. Uh, MidFi is pretty difficult to describe. Yeah, yeah, right. People uh, have different definitions for so, it. And so, yeah. yeah, and so you were thinking that better, and I agree, the better way to call it is, is a low-cost system, uh, something that's... Yeah. But a less affordable. Than what we're usually talking about on this podcast. Here. Yeah, more yeah. more affordable. Yeah, and um, you know, I started out with with um, a lower cost system, of course, and I've mentioned how one of the ways I tried to work around that was through DIY. But um, but you know, um, that's where a lot of people start and get their get their experience with the audiophile hobby or just kind of catch the bug yep um eventually graduating up to something awesome like uh chris has here um but it did get us thinking yes what what would our advice be for uh optimizing lower cost audio file systems and would we even entertain the idea of power cables that's something that's Mm -hmm. um a topic very close to your and my heart as we use our ears to listen to the what power cables can do on really, really great systems, dialed in systems where you have everything else kind of right. Right. So, um, maybe let's start with you just cause you, you were, um, you were really yep. reacting to this and, and where does this take you? Yeah. I, um, I remember like when I was, um, just starting out and I, I had, uh, some bookshelf speakers and, I was trying to get the most out of my system for the limited uh, money that I had to put into it. And I remember being focused so much because I was reading online about resolution and I was, I was trying to get so much resolution out of the system as much as I could that I had kind of just like forgotten or I not forgotten. I didn't know what full range, a full range response could give me Hmm. emotionally uh, as far as the engagement, as far as playing different genres. And, you know, I just, if you don't have a subwoofer in your system, in a moderately priced system, a subwoofer, even for floor standing speakers, can be a, a pretty big upgrade. Yeah. You know, and, and it can give you uh, just having that ability to... Uh, to, to have you know pretty high SPL at in the thirty to fifty hertz region that a lot of speakers uh, don't do really well um, can really add a sense of engagement, a sense of uh, being a little bit more genre agnostic, uh, kind of playing any genre that you want, um, and yeah, and and also pressurizing the space. So especially well, if you have like bookshelf speakers in a living room, um, you know, the sub is is one of the the best places to put money, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and and the pressurization is such a new thing. If if that's if that's going to be new to you, it's yeah. it's it's such an exciting thing once really you start is. experiencing it. You know, when it's when it's done well. Um, yeah, I mean, I have uh, coworkers and friends who who are I would say you know interested in in creating a great system and at the level of of low cost system in terms of investment and. Um, I'm thinking of one coworker in particular that just that just was really impacted by the addition of subwoofers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and his wife were really impacted. Now they set up a nice pair of um, of budget focal speakers on you know a, 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 I think a decent dead end receiver, and it's basically you know a, a very common uh, entry kind of low cost audio file system. And for them, it was the subwoofer just like made every difference in the world. I could talk to this guy about speaker cables and power cables all day, but it, it wouldn't do the same thing that that the subwoofer no. did. So no, I I, I agree with you. Yeah, in that kind of, and we have to define what that price range even means. But you know, like it, it's not just no. it's not just the impactness. Imp- sorry to cut you off. It's not the impactfulness of the pressurization, which is almost like a party trick. That's cool. What it is, is it's what you were getting at, which is a completeness of the sound, which is so satisfying once you hear the rest of it and the full, what what's mm-hmm. what's possible. Um, there's just more music there. And so you just have more. It's just an instant path to more. Oh, can't agree more. Right, right. Um, so as far as like adding power cables in in systems that are you know we really need to be careful about budget here like let's say that we're under we're under two thousand for like all in like completely all in uh that includes your all your cables your source your your integrated amplifier i would recommend i would recommend it an in an integrated Integrated if we're trying to save money Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 um so you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would not recommend power cable upgrades uh, in this price range. I just wouldn't. I don't think that it's a great place to put money uh, in that price range of, of when you're looking at a system that is that uh, that, that budget uh, sensitive. So, yeah. That said, this iFi product, you know, just like a lot of iFi products, maybe it reaches above its price point and it's something because it's, it's certainly a budget solution that's got a lot of intent and uh, design into it. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing. I'm glad Chris mentioned that. So for the, for the mid five folks, but I, I agree with you. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. When, when I'm setting up a system... I'm thinking about another friend whose system we set up and it was using a, an integrated amp that you made, uh, that you designed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, we're thinking about placement. We're thinking about bass, how to make the bass best in this room, how to make a nice sound stage, even though we have a sort of a compromised speaker location. You know, I'm making the best out of the, the situation for my friend. And the last thing I'm thinking about is a power cable or like to 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 impress upon him that a power cable would be, you know, the next move as opposed to, you know, just placing better or, you know, my advice of, of isoacoustic stands in the, in the location that he had them and that kind of thing, you know, which was a much cheaper little, little tweak. That was an $80 tweak, you know, that, 
that paid paid a paid a big dividend actually in in that setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, and so you can focus on setup. You can focus on you know all these little tweaks as well. Uh, yeah, one in, of the things setup. At, well, what was one I mentioned uh, th- that I do uh, w- when you have uh, in thinking about my friend with the focals? Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got your receiver and you've got your um, entry level focals. They come with spikes. Say you've, you're in the basement and you've got a carpet with an underlay under it, so it's a really pretty spongy carpet. Maybe these spikes are only like three quarters inch long or something, and maybe the speakers aren't heavy enough to really solidify that connection to the, to the actual slab concrete on the bottom. Mm -hmm. What I do in my basement for this solution. And and I think this would work for my friends with, I I would just think it would work for other solutions is, is find a shapely little small piece of flagstone, something, some nice decorative stone that's, that's got some weight to it. And, uh, you know, put some rubber bumpers underneath it, but place that on the top of the speakers, basically, for no other reason, just to to get that thing so solidly connected to that that concrete um, slab. Yeah, and the only reason that the 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 conversation of low cost audio makes me think of this is that generally uh, lower cost speakers are lighter. They're not as as their their mass is not as big. The walls are not as thick and um, sometimes they need some help and that can actually be a really great tweak. That's one of my, one of my, uh, one of my tweaks, they're mass loading mm. your speakers. Yep. Yeah. That's it. That's a great one. Um, yeah, you know, I, and then another thing you can do in the, in the ultra, when you're talking about an affordable system like this, um, is that you can introduce DSP full range. Hmm. You know, okay. you're not dealing with a system because a lot of times, you know, what I personally think about affordable DSP systems like mini DSP, for instance, is that the hardware alone is so limited for really high end systems that you're actually hearing into the hardware limitations and the the re- resolving system is actually showing off the shortcomings of the hardware. It's not necessarily the DSP side of stuff that everybody focuses on. Oh, the DSP. The, well, what about the hardware? You have literally two conversions in, in a standard setup where you have oh, yeah. ADC and then you have a DAC yeah. in that mini, DS, or mini DSP or something like that. Or, yeah. So um, in, a, in a system like this, I really think you can take advantage of um, taking a little bit more of the system out of the picture, like, for instance, some of the frequency response issues with the speakers and the room, of course, being the main thing. And you can do uh, some room EQ with Mm -hmm. mini DSP, and you can buy... I recommend the system is is a single-ended system with, uh, you know, RCA cables. Buying the the 2x4 HD from mini DSP is a great module, and you can actually... <clears throat> go d- digital into that so that you skip the ADC and you just have the DAC going out. Usually from. that's a spit if only, but that, that works if yeah, your source if you is can spit do if. that. Yeah. Um, and actually, just, 
Yeah, we mentioned the Matrix <laughs> audio uh, USB to SPDIF converter as being a really, really, really great SPDIF converter. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a way that you can get SPDIF to go direct DSP into okay. DSP. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and actually, as you mentioned that, actually the whole paradigm of equalization is so much more in play in this realm of audio. It is. Because yeah. you are compensating for known... known um, challenging areas of the spectrum for the equipment to handle you are also your your standards what you're trying to hit is not what what you and i are talking about when we're talking about an uber dollar system it's 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 a different part of the hi-fi verse well whenever you make that signal chain you know longer and more complicated and you know you always have a bottleneck and these $200 $200 DSPs, they just don't cut it for a $20,000 system. You know, it's just, there's no, when we, there's no yeah. question about it. It's the, the actual ADCs that they're using and the DACs that they're using. These are like $2 parts that are inside of it. Right. It's not. But with a lower you know, cost system, could equalization make you more happy? My, my answer to that would be yes. Yeah. Hell yeah. In fact, um, yeah. When I started an audio and I was scrounging for, you know, uh, just scrap equipment that, that would come off of uh, the, the, you know, my dad was a music director for big churches. And so, you know, their sound programs, when they get rid of something, I'd always grab it, you know. So I had these really crappy rack mount like equalizers in my system and, and you know, rack amps and stuff like that on my on my subwoofer that I made when I was 14 in the garage, you know. It, it it's it's fun it's fun and it you is, learn a yeah. lot about audio when you're when you're messing with bands and you're trying to tailor the sound to the way you want i mentioned a lot of times that it's my equalization work that i've spent so many years um mastering and recording that is that has given me this real 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 solid grasp of like the spectrum where placing sounds understanding what i'm listening to in in groups of frequencies and that kind of thing it's just been um, a great education so you know yeah at the lower cost level if you go to our website we say that we're focused on fun and we mean it like right and we've mentioned it before too your experiences what the audiophile hobby is after is pushing your experiences individual subjective experiences if if something if you can do something that makes your sound better than it was that accomplishes the same thing as you getting a upgraded really expensive power cable on your on your very finely d- tuned system same thing it it's just better than it was and that's what we're always after so so if you know the beginning of an audiophile journey at the lower cost um of the budget spectrum, anything that you can do to make it more fun and enjoyable and to kind of keep you engaged is, is a good thing. Yeah. yeah and all of these things we mentioned. Agreed. Yeah. yeah and then uh, there's a, uh, another thing about sources. So, um, people do ask the question sometimes, should I get into vinyl? And I have on a limited budget. And uh, it's a complicated answer because it's kind of like, well, you know, I mean, vinyl could be appealing to you, you know, like you could be interested in collecting vinyl and which is going to be a lot of money, by the way, um, just to get a, 
you know, a decent collection going, it's going to be, uh, you're going to be hundreds of dollars to just get a base collection down Mm -hmm. of, of, of music. Um, if you don't already have records and then getting into cheaper turntables, they, they are really, they're pretty flawed. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like Mm -hmm. just three, four, $500 into a turntable with a cartridge. It doesn't really buy you a lot. Unlike a DAC, big compromises, DACs sound pretty darn good, pretty quickly. Um, you don't have to spend a whole lot of money for them to sound, uh, uh, pretty good, but turntables, it, you know, it, it, it's expensive. There's mechanical limitations that literally are very expensive to implement in order to solve some of the issues to to get, you know, the sound like we do out of a $500 DAC today. I mean, it's it's down in that price range, digital and analog, in my opinion, they're just not uh, face-to-face. I mean, it's it's they're not uh, equivalent. Uh, the, the digital wipes the, the floor with with analog in the lower price range in the lower price range 100 yeah. percent agreed um and so you know if sound quality is number one for you over experience or owning records my my what i would recommend for for a budget system is to just stick with optimize your dac and your streaming setup and get that all set because that's your best shot at getting great sound uh, for a limited amount of money. Agreed. Improves That's just the my opinion. Yeah. yeah. And and again, if you are you're after the vinyl thing and the experience and and collecting vinyl, I understand that, and that's the route you should go in that case. If you're specifically want the best high fidelity playback at a, at a you know a certain range of money, a limited uh, budget, um, stick with digital. That's just my opinion. Uh, I'm gonna add one last thing, and then I think. Unless you have anything else to add, we'll move on. Um, I think that's it. I was going to talk about music, and we've mentioned this before, um, but it's interesting to observe as you make system changes. Different albums in your library start standing out as as standouts, as as sounding better than you remembered, and different ones fading back into the background as, as not being as interesting. So, case in point, I... I make some change or I, let's see. Oh, since we're talking about DSP, I used to have these, or I still have these full range tall, seven foot tall, like horns, DIY full range horns. And I used to DSP those. Um, and so I moved from full mini DSP to, um, a better amp and, uh, and a decent preamp with, with no DSP. And the, the change was, was, uh, fairly significant, but I was also like not to the point where I didn't recognize my speakers, but I did recognize that I started playing through my music and this one album was just so much better than it's ever been before. Mm. And, uh, and then another thing that I was listening to a lot on the DSP system just wasn't as magical before. And, um, this is one little anecdote, but we've mentioned this as just a, it's just happens. It's a paradigm that, that, um, you get you get to learn the music i mean ultimately what we're finding about this music is that it's not it's not the most perfectly recorded you know the, still the most perfectly recorded music really shows itself on the finest systems in the best way um but but what i've found is that is that you can kind of 
see that, that at different levels of your journey, some of your stuff stands out better than others based on what you're doing with your system. So my, my recommendation was to focus on building a library for your system right now that makes it pop. And just to give an example for someone that doesn't know where to start, there's a, a album that we recommended uh, quite a while back. It's called HH by a guitarist named uh, Lionel uh, Lueke. L-O-U-E-K-E. Lionel Lueke. And he is a, uh, he's actually uh, Herbie Hancock's a uh, uh, long time traveling guitarist on, on his tours. He is a, an expert uh, vi- virtuoso guitarist on his own, but that album HH where he does um, uh, arrangements of Herbie's a uh, bunch of Herbie's songs. And it's a tribute to Herbie Hancock. That thing sounds good on every single like I want to say mid five, but I want to say, but I'm going to say low cost, but frankly, like most of the mid middle systems that I've ever heard. I mean, the, it, it still sounds really good on a high, high end system, but it's just recorded in a very specific way where there's a lot of bass on the transient of the picks of strings. And he has a lot of, um, body, uh, thumping work that gives you a lot of crazy bass and, and uh, all together with the really like fine, uh, um, finely recorded top end of these of these guitars he's playing in in the reverberant space. It's basically the audiophile experience. And um, when you play that on something on on most systems, it makes them sound better than than you thought that they were. And so, <clears throat> I guess the point of what I'm trying to say is to think about your library in terms of filling it up with some more things that really accentuate it as a tweak, like thinking about the library as, as a, a part of your experience with this system and not being, not, not needing to hear the same music, but, but, but maybe spending some time folks or trying to find some music that, uh, that really pops on it. Simplistic music. I'm thinking on a mid-fi system, you know, that that classic kind of like minimal instrumentation in a reverberant space kind of thing, but uh, well-recorded. And and that kind of stuff can... It's not a tweak to the system, but it's a it's a tweak to the way you experience your system. Get, get more of this stuff that really hits you um, into your library and... Uh, mm. It, yeah. Well, you know, you know what really stands out to me if you were to compare, let's say, a two thousand dollars system to a twenty thousand dollars system. Um, one thing that stands out is how many genres the twenty thousand dollars system can knock out of the park. Okay. And so, you know, systems become more genre specific as you go down, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Okay. Um, yeah. So optimizing your system for a specific genre that you really like, if there, if that is the case, like if you're kind of all over the place, well, yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, um, settle for something in the middle that is somewhat, you know, as neutral as you can get that kind of is a middle ground. But if you're like just jazz and classical, for instance, well, there's some components that you can really kind of go after that will be 
the better for that than if you're metal if you listen to metal you know and then there's some components that you could buy that will be really bad for metal um that would be great for jazz or something so um you know optimizing your system in the low end is is you know low end of the price ranges for full system costs uh can be something that's really important um, and, and can really benefit you. Yeah, dialing it in um, for a genre. And I know yeah. that that kind of opens up a can of worms that's like a whole nother topic as, okay, like, well, what, you know, components and what type of speakers are good for each for genre? what genres, yeah. <clears throat> but I recommend just, you know, start start that thought train and do some research online. There's a lot of great information online about that topic, about, you know, what are the jazz people listening to what kind of speakers do they have okay um a lot you're going to see a lot of tubes even in the low end you know even in even in affordable you can still buy affordable tube equipment um 100 uh you're going to find speakers that are probably a little bit more higher sensitivity well didn't we have a podcast couple couple uh podcasts ago that uh now is the best time better time than ever for the budget audiophile yeah. And uh this is an extension on that, but it's a little bit it's a, it's a little bit more. Maybe it's a little bit more specific. Just beyond yeah, yeah it's a little more specific and a little beyond the uh, just entering budget range, but but you really do want to be th- That's a really <laughs> good point. Do, That's yeah, a really good if point. If you do have yeah. a specific genre, you know, factor that in to your to to how you're factor that into your search exactly. Yeah, to, to how exactly. you're informing yourself online. Look at you know other people's systems that have gone through a lot of hard work to get where they're where they're at, and uh, a lot of times they talk about the music that they listen to. So pay attention to that because, um, just in my opinion, especially you know uh, budget speakers, they become uh, genre specific. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Thanks. Yep. Well, um, that about wraps it up for our thoughts on improving lower cost audio file systems. Um, Thanks for that uh, that prompt there, Chris, and um, yeah. and sounds like you're having a lot of fun over there. And um, best luck to anybody. If if you've got a burning question, if you've got um, a mid-fi system you're working on, or if you have uh, any other kind of question for us, our email address is hi-fi at uh, hi-fi at outlook dot com, and we'll take questions, tips, album recommendations, jokes, um, that kind of thing. All kinds of stuff, but uh, but we appreciate the questions. Okay, now it's right. time for the the album, album of, of the week. week, and this one is just beautiful. Um, oh, it really is. I wanted to to maybe nominate this last week, but um, if you listen to our album recommendation from last week, um, Waysides by Bedouin. It's just obvious. I, that thing is in my head right now. Mm. I'm, I can hear one of the tracks. It's been in my head for <laughs> like a week. And I've been listening to it a lot to try to get out. <laughs> but um, this was kind of my pick A2 or whatever. You know, it's just like such a good album that came out last week um, that I wasn't able to... Um, to choose because we just choose one per week. But uh, yeah, October 22nd, this was released by a duo. Um, and it's actually uh, a duo plus a bunch of extra players that, that came on. But um, it's essentially Omar Sosa 
and uh, and I'm going to butcher this name, but Sekau Keita. And um, the album is called Suba, S-U-B-A. And um, both of these guys have ancestral roots to Africa, but they are not uh, living in Africa, not from Africa. Omar is from Cuba, and Sekau is from Senegal. And they're separated by the Atlantic Ocean, but they they play together. Now, I, I've not been able to find out how they met each other, but um, Omar is a composer, and he's a multi-instrumentalist, but mainly a, a pianist. And, um, man, this album, the piano is one of the main, like, the the sounds that just gets me from this recording because of how just, like, organic and real it is. Um, and then the other guy is a, a singer. Um, and so I, I, this is largely Omar's um, compositions. And then there's a, a, a big group of uh, featured players like percussionists and flutists and cello players. Um, Beautiful recording. Very open sounding, very natural. The way that they recorded it and, and uh, capturing the space. Incredible. Like, yeah. Um, if yeah, if you've got an ear, it's one of those where you put it on. And you're like, okay, oh yeah, I'm paying attention. Yep. Now the beginning of the album, it's interesting. It starts out with with a type of singing that I recognize a kind of melodic kind of compositional style that I recognize as very very African. And I kind of go into this for the first one or two tracks, expecting that I'm going to hear a, a really well-recorded, and actually by the second track, you're hearing the compositional elements that are like um, really smart melodies and creative chord changes and nothing boring. And you're like, if you're a musician, you start listening to this, you're like, okay, okay, I'm I'm really in. Well, after a couple tracks in, maybe by the fourth track or something, <clears throat> this thing some of these it just it just morphs into this some of these instrumental recordings that have no vocals are, are some of the most open sounding recordings i've ever heard and and it's it's a collection of instruments that's so realistic when played back on a really really excellent system not just the piano but like i mentioned the there's this symbol opening to uh mm. what is the track that i liked i'll look it up but I was just surprised because there's um, it's 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 borderline ambient music uh, that that is made with organic real instruments. It's like all kinds of stuff going on. And then by the track um, "Voices to the Sea," what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like track seven. Then it it gets really really audiophile and uh we go on a, a number of tracks where where it's just like i don't know this album just surprised me that's my meandering take on it yeah i haven't processed <laughs> it yet but i look forward to listening to it in greater detail yeah and we were listening to um a good amount of it um you heard it but the way that darren and i kind of like sink into albums um by the time we're kind of like we've really sunk into it. We can tell you everything about it. It's just like letting this album kind of, uh, wash over you. You can tell immediately that it's just incredible quality. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks Duncan for another great, uh, 
album recommendation. Well, thanks to the world. I mean, I, um, last weekend it was just like th- a bunch in a row. Lionel, by the way, Lionel Luicke, I mentioned in that yeah. in that segment, he has a new album that's incredible as well. It's just awesome. I, you know. Anyway, really good weekend for music last weekend. <laughs> Very cool. I, I appreciate everybody bearing with me with my voice. Oh. Um, <laughs> You're fine. I've been. I mean, it's like that tickle in your throat kind of thing where you get choked up halfway through a sentence. Oh, yeah. So yeah. yeah, and then you try to like hold it back for a while, and then it's, yeah, it your just body's gets like, worse. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, well, anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Check that out. We're gonna have that up on the website, um, and our website is www.dhifipodcastpodcast.net. But with that, this has been another episode of the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And we'll catch you next week. All right. See you guys. Bye. The Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan is produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor. And it's copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios. and features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors.